It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Salam, everybody. This is Brother Cedric Benishma, Tribe of Judah, and welcome to Thursday night's Fellowship Line. Time now is 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 o'clock p.m. Central. Um, is uh, Brother Priest online? Okay. Well, for the moment, well, I, I'm not sure exactly when you'll be on, but um, let me see who is on my Okay, so I see uh, Kedrick. I guess I'm guessing. Brother Alex from Tribal Judah. Shalom, brother. Wow. Okay, so I am guest four. Okay, I see Southwest Georgia. I think that's uh, Eric is Consul of Crystal, West Michigan, West Washington State. That's, I think that's Alex Bernard. And Cosworth, Aki Monica, Albert Amia, and Alex. Okay. Okay. Oh, in Maine. That's Buddy. Brother Hakeem Shalom. Oh, okay, brother. Uh, Shalom, brother. Okay. So, um, I don't see our priest on here. Um, as of yet, but I'm here. Are you here, brother? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. I'll yield over to you, brother. I yield. Did you see what um, Sean Combs said about the NFL? I did. He was basically saying that um, he had a dream that he would um basically set up his own league, you know, where, you know, players wouldn't have to be reprimanded for, you know, taking a knee or, you know, protesting or standing up for what they believe in and other different things. But basically the bulk of it was he just wanted to, you know, 
expressed that now he believes that his next goal in life is to own his own football league. Not football team, but football league. So, are you? Now, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the thing about it is before he said he wanted to do his own league, he said he wanted to buy the NFL. Mm-hmm. And he must have thought about it, so he must have said, you know what, these crackers ain't going to sell it to me. So, you know, um, first of all, you let me say this about the NFL. Um, nobody knows who the actual owners of the NFL are. I'm not talking about the owners of the teams. I'm talking about the owners of the NFL. And that's a major issue. Because it's like, you know who owns Microsoft? Bill Gates, right? Right. Okay. You don't know who owns the NFL. I mean, I don't think any of the fans know who owns the NFL. Now, that's a, a an issue, but the solution is stop trying to beg these people to respect us and give us equality. I don't agree with how they treat us um, all of the time. I don't. Now, some of the time I do agree, personally. Sometimes I do agree. But if you don't have the fundamental common decency to understand that these people are getting killed in the street and that's what they're protesting, it's not like they don't know that. They do know that. So it's getting pretty ugly in the United States. It's getting pretty bad. Shalom, brother. I wanted to add this. Um, I was uh, actually reading about it before I got on the call. And the in the article, or I, I usually always read the comment section. And I'm reading the comment section where, and it was actually only one, um, one guy, and I, and I assume he was Caucasian, he asked, well, let them form their own league, but who's going to come to the show since they only make up 15% of the population anyway? And I'm sitting here laughing because I'm like, well, why else do you think that anybody comes to the game anyway? <laughs> <laughs> we make the teams. If you didn't notice that half of the NFL predominantly is a Negro. So if they're coming, they're coming to see the Negroes play. So when we formulate our own league, you can count on Caucasians being there. I don't care what they feel personally, politically, they're going to be there. I guarantee mm-hmm. that. Very good point, brother. They will be. And um, I love football. I really do. But I had to I had to personally take a stance. I'm not supporting NFL as long as they openly are for the murder of our people. I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's like 
Yeah, I understand. We're under we're under oppression or perceived oppression anyway because of our transgressions. But you know what? There's a um Does anybody see this Facebook video on the laws in Virginia? Well, there's laws. I'm going to see if I can find it while we're on the call. There's laws that were passed in 1669. And those laws made it so that killing slaves, the slave master kills a slave who resists their authority. It's not illegal. Now, that sounds really, really, really harsh. But I get it. It's in the scriptures, it's in the book of Exodus, that there's a certain kind of way you're supposed to treat your slave. And if they get unruly, you can inflict capital punishment. Shalom, brother. Can I ask this question? Um, Wouldn't you like that kind of like, okay, would a slave rebellion be considered or fall into that category? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because, see, it's a misunderstanding on the slaves. Either it's a misunderstanding or it's outright disobedience. It's just like, look, um, it sounds harsh to say that Negroes should be obedient to Caucasoids. That sounds like racist. Okay, but look at this, for real. Should a citizen be obedient to the police in general? Should a a baby be obedient to their parent? See, when you put it in those terms, it's not harsh. Should should you raise your children to go up to grow up and be anti-police? No, you shouldn't. Just look at it as though this whole country was just our people. Just look at it as like it's our nation. You don't raise your children to go against their authorities when you want to have a peaceful nation. But because it's Caucasoids that are in control over here, then it seems like it's racism. But it's not. Now, I'm saying it seems really harsh to say that it's illegal for a slave master to kill a slave that resists them. That seems immoral. It seems just wicked. But when you read scripture and you read where if we have unruly children and we take them before the public square, they can be sentenced to the death penalty and can be stoned to death. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It really is. And one of the reasons why 
when you're under captivity of another people, you must know why you're there and how you're to get out of it. Because if I have a child, I'm supposed to raise that child until the age of 18 and kick that child out. I'm supposed to have raised them properly so they know how to conduct themselves in all matters. Now it's time for you to move the hell on. That's how we think in society anyway, which is not unreasonable. Now it's time for you to grow up. You know, I'll I'll carry you till you're 22. Okay, go go to college or whatever. Get your four-year degree. Then get out, right? Now, what I'm saying is whether you get out or not, at 18, 22, or whatever, what is the point of a child being under your roof so that they can obey your rules? And if at any time they do not, you spank their behind, you punish them. Period. No different with government and citizens. If you go too far with your parents in disrespect, death penalty. That's not racism. That's scripture. That's not caucasoids. That's scripture. And here's why it works. When you do these death penalties, you get rid of the evilness in your community. You're killing the cancer. But you don't take your authority like in the 1669 Virginia Colony Law. You don't use your authority to make a sport out of killing your slave. It's really not killing. It's capital punishment is what it's supposed to be. But when you go and you just make a sport out of it, now you're getting into murder. Does that make sense, brother? I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't hear anything that I, I could disagree on. I, I, I see. I'll, I'll put it to you like this: it would be no different than you having. Let's say you have a a company um, that gets disorderly. Now, mind you, that company is a, a subordinate company of another company, uh, and they have certain guidelines. That subordinate company gets out of line or gets above itself. They say, hey, I'm not gonna pay taxes or whatever you want to do. Then there's certain it's certain you know things that can happen to that company. They could be reprimanded. They can be, you know, there can be some type of uh, penalty applied to that particular company or some, you know, or something. But it's still considered to be chastisement uh, from a superior to a subordinate. And it plays out in commerce every single day. So not that, you know, I, you know, I don't have to have a business in order to see it, but I think that if many of us did 
we would understand it more. And we will understand how all of this stuff, you know, plays itself out. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but it makes it makes a whole lot of sense. Shalom. It does. Shalom. Shalom. Ema, uh, and, and to make a further point, because you know I'm a mother and grandmother, I'm gonna put it in Negro cornbread terms. You know, when my children were acting up and stuff, you know, I told them to stop. I told them quit. I'm gonna get you. Do what you're supposed to do. They want to try me. You know, they kept trying me over the years, trying this, that, children, grandchildren, the, you know, my great-grandchildren. I kept telling them, kept warning them. I said, now, they're minors or minorities. You're a minor. You're a minor. And a minor needs a guardian. So they kept on, and I warned them, I'm going to spank that A like Tyson, and I did. So, you know, it's the same way with us as a group of people. We've been warned. Warned, and and we still want to do what we want to do, so we get our behind spanked, and that's just a natural, natural law. I yield. Yes, ma'am. And here's what I want to say: If you spank your children, or if you punish your children, whichever one you do, that's one thing. You have a reason to do such. That's one thing. But what about when you have these perverts that are molesting their own children, molesting children, period? That's something wrong. There's something wrong with them. Okay, well, moving on. What about... You have a child, let's say the child is mm, six years old, and the child is under your authority, obviously. You could actually cut that child's throat, literally. You could actually kill that child just because you feel like it. That's wrong. That's totally wrong. And anybody that doesn't see that as being wrong, there's something wrong with them that doesn't see that. So, when I'm looking at this um, NFL owner's And obviously, they're scared of Donald Trump. But if you are too cowardly to take a position, a stance, when you know that it is wrong for someone to be abusing their power just to murder people, When you get to that point, then that's when somebody has got to take a stance. Somebody's got to say something. Seriously. And that's what bothers me, uh, in particular, in dealing with this uh, whole 
Mm. Disgusting display. It's like they they support the continued murder of our people. I get it. The Most High is punishing us, but <clears throat> when you're under the authority of someone else and they begin to abuse their power and unjustly murder you and your people unjustly i'm talking about people that are doing nothing but just sitting in their car reaching to their glove compartment now they're shot dead no these people will pay for this they will but the real solution is if you're too dumb to get away from these people that are murdering you, then you're going to get what you ask for. You, you got to get away from the behavior that causes murder. Get away from dealing with them altogether. Don't have any dealings with police if you can so help it. So don't do anything for them to be around you. Come investigating or dealing with you and just get the hell away from them until we can 100% fully separate and govern ourselves, we got to get the people away from them. We got to remind them, get away. Get away from them. Don't make yourself a target. It's really um, troubling me like, like no other because I feel I have this empathy thing, and um, I'm feeling the pain of the people. I, I can't, I just, I knew it was going to come. It's going to increase. There's going to be more and more murders since Colin Kaepernick took the knee over, a, well, about a year and a month ago. He started it, and they've still been killing us. And see, it's one thing if they're doing it, but it's another thing when these no good bastards. Turn a blind eye. When murder is not justifiable, that is against the laws of nature. That is against the scriptures. In the said Old Testament, it says, thou shalt not kill. But then in the New Testament, the Christ has to clear it up. Because then people get, you know, I know people that have actually said this to me. They were like, well, if thou shalt not kill, then that means you shouldn't be killing plants either. That means you shouldn't be pulling them out of their natural habitat. That's killing plants. That's the extreme that people take it to. So he cleared it up. He said, no, thou shalt not murder. He's like, if you if you premeditating murder is what he's trying to explain. Killing is, is a death penalty is what the, the Old Testament is talking, the said Old Testament is talking about. It's talking about a death penalty for transgressors. And then people took that and tried to take it to some extreme. But it is really evident to me as I'm looking at it that it's necessary to have a capital punishment. But the people are so confused, they don't know left from right. 
man. And it's heavy on my heart. Anyhow, um, I want to say this to everyone that is here. Brother Shedrick, please be reminded to uh, remind everyone. If you anticipate that you're going to be absent during any semester more than three times from class, please alert EMA. Like some of the people have not been consistent in class. And we got to stop that. We got to stop it. Anyhow, one thing I want to discuss today, well, two things. I think that some people are not on the line uh, or fellowship because they don't have their stuff finished, completed, like we're waiting on people to do. I think some of them are not coming to class because they don't have their stuff completed. Um, Brother Hakeem, are you there? Not on here. Uh, what what week are we in? Is this week six? Yes, it is. This is week six of this semester. Now, this is important to look at. The scriptures describe that what should have took four days took us 40 years. Now, let's look at ourselves. Something that should take five minutes is taking months for some of us. Look at that and understand that that's why what should have taken four four days took 40 years. This procrastination is not its improper priorities. We have to re-analyze um, our priorities. This is a dangerous time in America. This, this whole spirit, particularly, see, I'm down here in Texas and you can really feel the tension and the depression amongst the people. You can really feel it because we're down here. A, a lot of us are still dealing with the hurricane. The, the hurricane has passed, but the aftermath and the effects and the destruction that it took place, and there's just a, a, a sullen overall vibe. So even I'm just walking through the store, you know, driving down the street, and you can see the sadness. And, like, a lot of people are still functional, but it's a lot of functional, functionally depressed people walking around. I'm telling you. 
and it's unfortunate, but it's real. So you know what? We have to take this seriously because we have to prepare for a future, an immediate future, that we can start building the safety for our for ourselves and our future. We got to have this safety. So if we can't do simple things to take five minutes, if it's going to take us three months to do something that should take five minutes, we got to reevaluate, take it seriously, reprioritize, because I'm saying to you, it doesn't matter if you're well off financially. If you don't have any financial problems, you got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars stacked away. It's about us being able to work collectively. We got to work collectively. And believe me, I understand. You have your own private life. Things come up. Things distract you. You get away. But we got to look at this thing. You know, it's it's serious. Um, it's amazing that the, that the that the people are not letting this issue go. One moment. The people, they're not letting this Colin Kaepernick thing go. And then look at it. Well, well, Shedrick, what, tell me something here, brother. Yes, sir. Okay, listen. Donald Trump calls NFL football players sons of bitches, excuse my language, for for taking a knee, which is legal and lawful, and stand on their First Amendment, their alleged First Amendment rights. He calls them SOBs, which is an insult to them and an insult to their mother and an insult to their fathers. Mm-hmm. Okay? But yet, white supremacists go to Charlottesville again. He doesn't call them any names. Murders by this sniper in Vegas, he doesn't call them any names. What What is going on here, brother? I just look at it like when you have... Um, I remember having this conversation with uh, Mother Emma several years ago, and I remember her telling me that when you have someone who isn't used to anything, when you try to take it away from them, they throw tantrums. And you liken... You you likened uh, this government to a a young child, you know, who claims to have found something, uh, and it was always there. But when they learned what it is and they got used to having it, you know, someone tried to take that, that little bit of something from them. So when you have someone... And, my, and this is what Mother Eva, you know, said to me. 
And then once I channeled that in, you know, government and I see it play out, I see that these causes and I And let me also just say this, because I think we, you have to remember that there is a class system here. So not all Caucasoids think this way. They don't all think this way. They don't all follow suit with Trump, and they don't all follow suit with the lower class people. I get that because the lower class people are just kind of like, well, you know, they even in their even in their lower class, they still think that they are better than us, and they and at some point they have it a little bit better because of the privileges that are attached to their status. So I get it, you know. But now they feel like, oh, you have these uh, the other lower class, which is us, who are underneath the so-called white lower class, as well as the white establishment, and they feel like, oh, you know, we're trying to make demands inside of a house, which is clearly broken. They feel like you're trying to take the little last bit of authority that we have in our house. (laughs) It's bad enough that we can't pay our bills on time. It's bad enough that we don't have enough to feed you and our people, and now you want to try to rise up against us? We see you as a threat. You're going to try to tell us what to do in our house? I don't think so. So it's like I kind of understand it, but even at the end of the day, it's almost kind of like at some point you guys preach about, you know, letting go to get along, but then it's like when we feel some kind of way about the whole situation, we try to let it go at some point. Our way of letting go was to let you know that, no, we don't tolerate it, and this is what we're going to do about it. Because at this particular point, this, you know, because we don't know how to do anything else, I haven't learned how to do anything else, we're going to protest about it, and we're going to boycott it. And now you start to see the people come out. You start to see you, – you, you, you see the people behind the businesses – you see the people behind the smiling faces and the shaking the hands and the people behind the badges and the people behind the corporations and the people behind the politics. You see these people for who they really are, and they're letting you know that regardless of what's going on, this is still our house, and we feel some kind of way that you got some insubordinate that lives inside our house trying to tell us what to do and trying to take what little last we have. That's how I, that's how I see it play out. And I yield, brother. Hmm. Well, man. Anybody? Go ahead. Will somebody say something? Did anybody see or hear the Eminem freestyle? that he did against Donald Trump? He got 19 million views on YouTube. 19 million? 19 million views. And that was just, what, yesterday? The day before yesterday or something like that? Yeah, 19 million views today. Probably even more at this hour. Did anybody see it? I heard of it, but I didn't listen to the whole thing. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. I you didn't, I, you didn't see the rebuttal though, brother? From Trump? Oh yeah. You talking about him trying to pull Eminem stuff off the shelf or whatever? He said something about Eminem talking about it took you forty years to grow a beard or something like that. I just I couldn't have. Sorry. Oh, it was kind of hilarious, but yeah, he rebutted. But Eminem, yeah, they had words. Never mind. But go ahead, brother. Well, I mean, there's a lot of Caucasians that most of America does not like Donald Trump. It's just, I mean, he he lost the popular vote. So that means there's more people that are against him than are than are for him. So he's trying to threaten um, Eminem economically, but here's where he's going to go wrong. I know this firsthand because I grew up around these guys. He Eminem's um, businessman man is Paul Rosenberg, a Jewish guy. Now Paul Rosenberg used to hang around all us Negroes doing hip-hop days. He was one of us. And you could, I mean, it was clearly, there was only like four Negro, I mean, four Caucasians. One was named Chuck, and we always used to call them Chuck and Rusty. And then Eminem, I mean, we would call them M. So Chuck and Rusty, Every matter of fact, Rusty had blonde locks in his hair. Chuck was a DJ. Chuck Rusty, Eminem, and Paul. Those were the only four Caucasians that were around the hip-hop movement in Detroit. So they stood out. But I remember Paul Rosenberg really analyzing, like, I didn't know it at the time because I didn't know he was Jewish. Um... But I think back on it, and I, he was studying. He was studying. He was analyzing the people. He Donald Trump does not stand a chance against the least of Jewish people because they all know commerce. That is the last people you want to mess with because they know commerce. So we have to make sure we position ourselves that way too. Now we talked about A, B, C, and D class. The A class is the, uh, they're the aristocrats. The A class is any functional body of people that are operating independently in government, law, and commerce within a government or nation or country that might even be foreign to them. The A class are the real we the people, not the posterity or bloodline, for anybody that can commercially come together and operate in that capacity. And they're showing this to you every day. They're showing, like, here's an example. As I open today, they don't tell you who the actual owners of the NFL are. They don't show you that. They have owners of teams. So the teams had to buy, they had to buy into the NFL. So who's getting this money from the NFL then? Who, who, when, when this thing went down the other day with um, the owner of the Cowboys, you all got to pay attention to this 
we all have to pay attention to this from a lawful perspective. Jerry Jones or the Cowboys says, none of my players are going to um, kneel. If they do kneel, they won't play the game. They'll be fired or they'll be kicked off the team, whatever he said. So he pissed off the players. They're angry now. And it's all because Donald Trump called him and told him to tell his players, don't do, don't protest. Now, the commissioner of the of the um, NFL, Roger Goodell, a commissioner is just like, um, they're kind of like a manager. They manage policy enforcement. So like if you have a police commissioner, commissioners are the police of the police. Um, so uh, uh, NFL commissioner is the, is the police overhead of the NFL. So he goes, the commissioner is the only one that is listed as having any authority in the NFL other than the team owners. But somehow, mysteriously, the commissioner goes and talks to the executives the CEOs, the actual owners of the NFL, and none of their names are mentioned. <laughs> and it's crazy. The NFL, I don't know if it's still this way, but listen to me good. The NFL is a nonprofit organization. What? Yes, they don't pay taxes. Guess who pays the taxes? The players. The players pay taxes. The owners do not. The NFL is a nonprofit. Is it a private nonprofit, brother? Well, it must be private because there is no listing of who the owners of it is. <laughs> Whoa. I haven't seen it yet. I could be wrong, but I'm I'm saying it must be private. Private doesn't mean nobody knows you're there. Right. That's not, right, right. That's not what it means. It means it's private how you conduct your business. So like on Facebook, we were talking, hey, you can put up a business page on Facebook and it's not connected to your profile. Nobody knows who owns that business. That's private. Okay, but you could, if you needed to subpoena to find out, you could do that, and then whoever would own it would have to come out in the public. Here's an A class that is operating within the NFL. Now, hopefully everybody's awoke and paying attention because this is critical what I'm about to share. Please hear me. There's a player, Ezekiel Elliott. Just read about him today. Excuse me? I said just read about him today. Okay, he's accused of domestic abuse. All right. Wait, let me go back. Remember this. Remember this. Contract makes the law. The terms and conditions of the contract 
is the law. Any contract, constitution, marriage contract, so-called marriage, mortgage, credit card, what the terms and conditions are is the actual law. Just hear me. So the NFL, I don't know how many years it is, but ever so often they have a collective bargaining agreement. And this is deep. Bargaining means that the players can bargain their contract, negotiate their contract and their position in the percentages of the amount of monies they receive. So, the collective bargaining agreement and the rules of the NFL are two contracts. They work as one, but the collective bargaining agreement which is in most, well, it's in the Negro sports anyway. Um, It's in the NBA, it's in the NFL. That can be negotiated. That's important to know. So that means we can negotiate to get more money as players than we've been getting, or we can negotiate ourselves and our foolishness to get less money. Guess what they did (laughs) in 2012? The owners said, look, we'll give up more money right now, but in the long run, we're basically going to get more um, interest, for lack of a better way to explain it. In the long run, we're going to get more power. So these... Brothers of ours negotiated to give the NFL more power in exchange the NFL owners more power in exchange for more money temporarily. You all there? You all with me? Shalom, brother. I have this question X. So when you were talking about the collective bargaining agreement, right, uh, um, can you repeat something in that agreement? Because there's something I want to ask you about that. And I think you, well, I don't want you to assume what it is I'm going to ask. Could you uh, reiterate exactly what it is that they're negotiating in those contracts again? They're negotiating how much they get paid, what their what their power is. So. Like, um, let's say free agency. It used to be in sports, in football and basketball, that once you sign with a team, you could not go to another team. Um, You didn't have the power to negotiate that. They could trade you. So that means here we have the owners trading you, but you had no say-so, okay? So at some point... In the collective bargaining agreement, 
and we first started with the bargaining agreement, and then they put it into the overall laws of the of the uh, league. So it's like we want the power to get out of contracts and go to other teams. Okay, we want the power to decide where we go. Okay, so it's all about power, position, and money. That's what the collective bargaining agreement is. It's really a commercial contract. It's a negotiation of power, money, and position. Okay. And the reason why I asked uh, you to reiterate that is because, like, when you said in 2012, um, they had they put the offer on the table of uh, we'll give up more money, but in the long run, we'll have more power. So the players had to decide between having more authority in their contracts and less money versus having more money and little authority. It's um, it's like a, I like the, and I could be wrong when I say this, but it's almost kind of like a verbal taxation. Whoa, oh, oh man, that's a good way to. Define it, brother. Yeah. It's a verbal taxation. You're negotiating how much taxes you have to pay in uh, in the exaction of authority or the surplus of authority you gain from the little bit that they pay you. And we do it every day. Man, that's crazy. And and and, Shalom, and you're contractually, uh, uh, you know, implying it's an in contractual applied or you know meeting of the minds. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. You, you said they actually sat down and negotiated themselves in the worst position. Now here's uh-huh. here's the here's the main thing that they did because I'm gonna talk about Ezekiel Elliott. The guy's name is Ezekiel. Now, here's what happened with him. Well, here's what happened with the NFL players and the owners' agreement. So the agreement is between the players and the owners. The the laws and rules of the NFL were made by the A class of the NFL, whoever the hell they are. Okay? The owners, in this uh, manner, are in a B class. Okay, now they appear to be the A class. (laughs) Wow. They they appear to be the A class, but they are not. They answer to whoever their sponsors are and whoever the real owners of the NFL are. Now, obviously, there must be some American corporate interest in the NFL because Donald Trump called them up and told them what to do. So they must have some stake in it. But anyway, now listen to what they negotiated. And I think they're the leader of their, um, the, of the, the team players, I think it's a Negro that did negotiated this. They were going to give apps. Listen to me good. Now they gave absolute power to the NFL owners to determine their fate 
in any kind of dispute. Mm. Now, think about that and then think about what they're doing out here taking a knee. They gave up absolute power. That means the the judge, the jury, the entire court system stays within the NFL. That means if you screw something up, you can file a complaint. They'll take your they'll hear it, but then they're gonna be the decision makers as the judge. Okay. That's a government. That's a government within a government. Now they did that. This happened to Tom Brady and it's happening to um, Ezekiel Elliott now. Here's what happened. Ezekiel Elliott, they didn't find enough, the NFL did not find enough evidence to warrant a suspension for him. But yet, they suspended him for six games. I hope you are following me here. Brother Alex, are you there? Um, who else uh, on I'm here. I'm, I'm here, brother. Sorry about that, Freeze. I'm here. Okay. Are you following me, brother? Yes, I'm most definitely following you. I was listening to you, but at the same time, sorry about that. I was really uh, talking to a client. But, yes, I'm definitely following you, Freeze. Okay. Remember... Contracts make the law. So the NFL players contracted that the final determining factor, judge and jury, is the NFL. So they didn't find enough evidence to suspend him, but they suspended him. His response is which is the same thing Tom Brady did. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to go to the federal government and try to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. So Ezekiel Elliott takes it outside of the NFL, which you can do. So that means the the federal courts have to review the contract. <laughs> what now, you now, did. <laughs> now, now, look, now look, now look, Ezekiel Elliott lost in court. Okay, now, the, the, now I know they did this on purpose. What, whoever's leading and guiding him, him and Tom Brady, they did this on purpose. I can see this from a law perspective. So what they did, what he did was they sued him in court to put an automatic stay on the suspension. Meaning, in law terms, that means they cannot execute the suspension on him because that's a, that's a pending case, a list pending. It's a pending case. They cannot execute the suspension on him 
which means he can go out there and play until this matter is solved in court. So then if you put a court case in and you're the one, well, if you put a court case in, if you lose, you can appeal. So what are you doing here? If you are going to going to going to keep you're going to prevent Ezekiel Elliott from take having to sit down for six games and you get an automatic stay on that, they can't execute it. That means if you lose, you're going to appeal it. There's only eight. What is it? 16, 18 games a, uh, a year. I think it's 16. So all they got to do is buy enough time to play out their their 18 games. If they can make it to the Super Bowl, I think it's 19. And all, and if the courts are so backed up and have all of this, all these cases coming in, it could take years for them to make a ruling on it. So it's strategic. Now look. That means there's a possibility that he would miss six games, but we're not going to worry about that. We're going to keep them tied up in paperwork. He loses. When you lose, you have a right to an appeal. Okay. Shedrick. Yes, sir. Why did he lose? Why did he lose? Why did he lose? Well, because the contract already, the contract back in 2012 gave the um, gave the uh, owners of the NFL pretty much uh, power absolute over uh, negotiations of the con- uh, of the contracts of the players in um, any kind of dispute. Yes. Now, do you think? Now, just be honest with yourself. Wait, Brother Eric, are you there? Brother Eric. <laughs> Shalom, yes, sir. Listen to this. Do you think an attorney would know what the outcome was going to be before they took it into court? Shalom, he should. Why do you think they should? Because they uh they are on the same team and they always talking with each other and negotiating amongst each other. And uh he studied attorney um well they ain't the same as a lawyer where they is, but they studied law and they should know the outcome of every case before they even take the case. With that are you? Very well put, brother. They should know the outcome. I'm telling you that 98% of the time, they do know the outcome. So why would an attorney take on a case that he knows he can't win? Shalom, brother. Can I yes, answer sir. that question? <laughs> yes, sir. Because <laughs> eventually he's still going to have to get paid in court fees. Uh, uh, Ezekiel is still going to have to pay him. Exactly. He still got to, to be legal fees. So he don't mind. Exactly. <laughs> Shalom. Sir. So I just want to throw this in there. Could that also be equated, like in this instance about the attorneys and the play, the attorney knowing that before going to the case, he knows he can't win the case and he knows he's going to lose. And since Ezekiel Elliott has the money, the attorney, quote-unquote, has the position to either get him 
you know, either have him win, but eventually who has the ultimate power in that scenario? The attorney does, right? Because at the end of the day, Ezekiel's still lost, but then at the end of the at the end of the day, um, the attorney still got paid, and then Ezekiel still lost money in the process and is still not playing. So that's like a bargaining agreement within that scenario as well, if you think about it. And I yield. The attorney knew he was going to lose. But guess what? He might lose the case but win the money anyway because he's getting paid. <laughs> and trusted, these attorneys know. If I know this, there's no way in the hell they don't know this. <laughs> now, and it's and it what's so what's so crazy is if you just have a little bit of information, you can use your common sense as long as you understand the terms and conditions of the contract determine the law. That is the law. So whatever is agreed upon is what's going to be ruled upon. So Ezekiel Elliott loses. Okay, now. He appeals it. So I wonder what happens on the appeal. Brother um, Alex, what do you think happened on the appeal? Jamal, can you repeat that? Because I'm sorry about that, but I'm actually working right now, and I was conversating with a client, so I didn't really get what you just said. I'll come come back to you, brother. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, let me see. Oh, Sister Diana, you there? I am here. Are you I'm keeping? Here. How long? I don't. I didn't see you on there. How long have you heard everything about here? Pretty much, I got on at about seven twenty, and I, oh. I dropped. I got dropped one time and got back on. Uh. I wasn't off long when I dropped, so I've been on ever since. So, did you hear what I was asking? Um, I'm sorry. What What was the question again? Did you hear the question I was asking? No, I missed the question because I was trying to get it off of me and getting out the car at okay. the same time. Okay. Okay, I'll come back to you. Okay. Um, Brother, uh, brother Eric, is Sister Crystal on the line with you? Well, I'm out. Yes, sir. I was trying to find my uh, mute. <laughs> yes, I hit you. Okay, Sister, what do you, have you been keeping up with? What I'm saying, uh, what I'm talking about here. I have. Okay, so Ezekiel Elliott appealed. What do you think the What do you think the, the decision was from the appellate court? If I were to throw it out, because again, he signed the contract, and the terms of the contract were whatever the own, whatever the um, people that were over it, the owners were, it goes. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So now let's look at this. Wait, wait. They didn't throw. Let me re, let me rephrase it. They didn't throw it out. They upheld that the original court ruled correctly. Did that make sense? Why they upheld that to you, 
Yes, sir. That's basically what I was looking for. I used the wrong terminology, and that's what I mean, that his case was no good because what they said was still fact. It was still the law that he did not have a case, so it couldn't go any further. So, if we look at this, do you really think Ezekiel Elliott knew that that would would be the case? I don't believe so. I believe he does not know. He can't even think like this. It's not like it's hard. But if you don't have these key tools, even if you even if you tell somebody the terms and conditions make the law, they're gonna to have to fight through all that idolatry and miseducation just to try to comprehend that simple thing. So Ezekiel Elliott probably didn't understand it. He probably has agents and managers that are telling him, Oh yeah, go ahead and pay that attorney. Now, if there were good people, they were probably telling them, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna end up losing, but at least we can play the long game, and we'll keep them tied up in court, and we'll, we'll we might not win, but we'll get you to be able to play some games, and you should be able to get through the whole season if we do it properly." Shalom, uh, yes. Chief Minister. I can I see you say this because I feel like. In all honesty, Ezekiel Elliott, in his current situation, where it came out better, sitting down with the NFL owners of the league, let me say it that way, uh, owners of the league, to negotiate within the contract that they established for him, as opposed to him just letting, you know, them let him sit for, you know, six games, well, if you're going to let me six to six games, let me play a game on, let me play a game off, let me play a game on, let me play a game off, or let me play three games and let me sit out three uh, uh, three games. Lesson, you know, to kind of lessen uh, him sitting out. I think he stood a better chance with just actually sitting down negotiating with the, uh, with the owners of the team because they took him uh, uh, for a ride basically for nothing. But all of the people around him was winning because they knew something that he didn't. They knew contracts, and he obviously doesn't. And they knew that they were going to get more money out of him actually taking it to court and wasting his money on attorneys and legal fees. And uh, uh, NFL owners were still getting paid while he wasn't playing. So come on, man. He came out better just talking to him himself instead of just going to court or negotiating something. Even though the the uh, contract between them of his sitting out, I guess was finalized. I think he stood a better chance of just begging to to renegotiate those contracts, and I yield on that. But he can't renegotiate it because it's in, it's still active. Like it's it's. I think it goes. I don't know when it ends. I forget the collective. This is based on the collective bargaining agreement. And until it's um, until it's expired, he can't renegotiate it. He did oh, try to go, huh? But okay. Even the even the uh, the decision where 
they told him he had to sit out to six games. He appealed it. He appealed it within the NFL. Um, okay, because see, what I was thinking was being that he took it to court, that was kind of like a bad move. And I just felt like maybe he came out better just sitting down and talking to he would he came out better going directly to the owners of that team and just kind of saying, "Look, can I just you know work something out within this little uh, you having me sit down for you know sit out six games? Can I work something out with that regardless of the uh, of the collective bargain agreement? Because I knew that the collective bargaining agreement still stood, but I guess." Being that that's finalized, even the you know the decision about him sitting out with six games is also finalized. So I guess you know at this particular point, based on what you're saying, and even the collective bargaining agreement, he just really didn't stand a chance to even negotiate with them outside of that contract. So, well, you you're right, but let me say this: keep in mind, he appealed it within the NFL and lost the appeal. Right. Now, now, let me go back to this. They did not find enough evidence that would support the suspension. So basically, what they're trying to tell you is he's really not guilty. Right. Now, now you got to look at this out of everything that has ever happened to a Negro in America. I'm telling you, the man is innocent according to what they found. Mm-hmm. Yet, they, they said, we're going to suspend him anyway. Now, the reason why they, they did it is, is really not vicious. They did it because of the fact that, according to them, we don't even want any players even having any type of domestic cases even spoken on about them. So just because you got into the situation, we're going to keep the suspension. Even though you're innocent, we're going to still keep the suspension on you. Now, to people that don't know that, what it looks like is he is guilty of domestic violence, which is another issue. But I, but you got to look at this from a historical perspective. How many times have said innocent Negroes been incarcerated and people believe that they're guilty of the thing that they're incarcerated for all the time. Yeah. So what are they doing in law when they know you're innocent? It's not a judge in this situation. This could be a jury that rules against you. Or it could be a judge, but um, outside of of NFL structure, historically, a judge has the ability to gauge punishment. Even if you're not guilty, they might see a personality flaw that you need correction on so they fine you. They might give you a couple of days. They'll put something on your record. They give you, this is how they do it. I didn't go to any law school. I read the law dictionary and, and put my mind into the into their thinking. Right. I, I can see it. Okay, so 
So look, contract makes the law. He loses. He loses the appeal. Now they have to enforce the six-game suspension. Now let's go to Colin Kaepernick. They agreed in 2012 that the NFL is the judge, jury, and executioner. So, if you do anything wrong, whether you're correct or whether you're guilty, we can bring charges against you within the NFL, or we can treat you how we want to treat you. We can blackball you and keep you out of this league. But all Colin Kaepernick would have to do because understand he's not playing for them. He's no longer playing for them. He could sue them for discrimination. And then they'd be in hot water because he's not under a collective bargaining agreement. So that means that he's going that that the NFL and him as an individual are going to fall under federal laws of color color of law discrimination, racism, and prejudice. And he could win. Does anybody not see this? <laughs> anybody confused about this? Tom Brady, they suspended him for two games. He didn't like it. He went outside, tried to take it to federal court. One judge ruled for him, and he won, and then um, they appealed, and then he lost. Two-game suspension, Tom Brady. I'm saying that because sometimes you have judges that make incorrect decisions. That's why I'm saying that. If they legitimately make an incorrect decision, you have the right to appeal. Now, let me ask anybody here, anybody, with what I'm saying, contracts, terms and conditions make the law. Can you go into any court and win? Anybody against anything? You can win if you if you know the if you know the rules and the contracts and the conditions. You can win, I believe. Yes, yes. I have. <laughs> yes. Can you look at this and look at what you did and be honest with yourself and say, if I was taken to court, if I'm sued in court, I'm the defendant. Would I win or lose? Can you do that? <laughs> I feel confident that I would win. <laughs> See? Everything is about truth versus falsehood 
and what you can prove. You have to be able to prove it. Now, if it's on paper and somebody's accusing you of a breach and they sue you because you breached, the burden of proof is on them to, to prove that you didn't. I mean, if that you did, the burden of proof is on you to prove that you didn't. Right. Can I use an example, Brother Priest? It's just one of the, of the samples. I had a secondhand antique thrift store, and I did, um, what do you call, uh, where they bring, I can't think of the word, uh, um, you know what I'm talking about, where they bring stuff in and I sell it for them. Right consignment. Now, consignment. I did consignment. And I had my my paperwork written up where you have to come in every two to three months to change up your stuff. If you leave it, then it, it, it automatically go to the store, and, and I can do whatever I want to with it. They signed that contract. So um, I finally closed my store down. Somebody came in and stole this woman's stuff out of my store, so, you know, they just took it. The guy that owned the place, he went to clean it out. But anyway, the woman took me to court to sue me for a bunch of dresses, beautiful Easter dresses for little girls. Well, I had my contract. She, I, she didn't come in at the appropriate time to get her stuff. So when I went into court, she was saying her thing, and then the judge said, Miss um, So-and-so, what is, your, what is your stance on this? All the thing I could do was pull out the contract and show the dates that she did not come and get her stuff on time, and that's in the contract. The judge hit the thing and said, case dismissed. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. That's discrimination. That's racism going on there. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's take this at a larger scale. We talked about the, the, the NFL. We talked about the federal courts. The federal courts are above the NFL courts. The NFL does fall under federal courts, but it's how you address the law. Colin Kaepernick is not under a collective bargaining agreement. He could take them to federal court, and now they goose would be cooked Mm. because because all over America on television for over a year, it is proven discrimination. <laughs> it's proven. Without a doubt, it's proven. And even if you try to argue that it's not proven, they'll say, where's your evidence? Okay. Ray Lewis came on television and said Colin Kaepernick did not get a job with the Baltimore Ravens because of his girlfriend. So that's not discrimination? You, you, Mr. Ray Lewis, you speak for this Baltimore Ravens. You went on national television and you said that the owner told you that because Colin Kaepernick's girlfriend made this tweet that that's why Colin Kaepernick did not get a job. So we're talking about job discrimination here. Come to find out that the the girl made the tweet after they rejected Colin Kaepernick. So they got caught in a blatant lie. 
So now, not only are you under discrimination, now you're under lying. Now you telling me you can take that into court and win and know you're going to win? Now what do you think would happen if he sued the NFL, the NFL owners, all of them for discrimination? <laughs> because the contract that, that the NFL and the owners are under is the Constitution, the statutes at large, and the statutes at large prohibit you from mistreating discriminatory practices against even second-class citizens. Brother. Yes. Yeah. Bernard. Now, it's ironic that you're talking about this. Last week on Facebook, I did a post talking about uh, Johnny Cochran, and I had said uh, if, if, if our brother Johnny Cochran was here, he could represent Colin Kaepernick and sue the NFL and the NFL owners under Title 18, Section 246 because he has a right to uh, to gainful employment, and they're denying him that right. And uh, this is exactly what you're talking about. So if you if if you uh, anybody in the nation gets an opportunity, type in Title 18, Section 246, uh, 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 deprivation of rights, uh, uh, release uh, a right to relief of benefit, and that's the, this is fits to a T. And if he had the per, if he had a good attorney, it's just like you saying he could win hands down. They'd actually want to settle out of court. I yield. Yeah, and they can sue him under 242. Yes, 242. And they would be, listen, if they don't, if they wouldn't settle with that guy, guess what, Pope Daddy? Colin Mm -hmm. Kaepernick would be the owner of the NFL. Mm -hmm. And, and, And Brother Priest, under 242, I love 18242, it talks about de facto, you know? Yeah, yes. And there, there's no escape. Color of law, and there's no mm-hmm. escape. Okay, you can't you can't take a child, not even your own child, and slit the child's throat and bleed it out. When, why am I saying that in this situation? You got to be civilized. Right. You have to understand that you. Uh, you NFL owners turning a blind eye to our people who are getting murdered. You can do what you want to do under the NFL contract. You can do what you want to do to those employees, but you got a former employee. Oh man, he could roast them. Now, now let's look. Now let's apply. Let's switch the NFL to the United States of America. (laughs) Let's switch the NFL, I mean, let's switch the United States of America to the Supreme Court. Now, we're talking about the highest court in the land. Let's say you have a bunch of Negroes being murdered, being discriminated against, which is against their law, 
That's in the law. The terms and conditions of the contract makes the law. If you sue them in the in federal court first, because you got to the Supreme Court is really an appellate court, because you got to basically exhaust your appeals till you can get to the highest court in the land. Now let's say collective body of Negroes sued them all the way up to the Supreme Court. And let's say we lost. Is there the possibility for an appeal? Technically, if the technically when you get to the Supreme Court, that's it. Whatever they decide, that's it. Technically, when you get to the NFL court under this collective bargaining agreement, whatever they decide, that's it. So whereas it, whereas it looks like once the Supreme once the Supreme Court says no, and under the contract the Supreme Court says no, then that's it and it's done. However, you can start a new trial in a world court, an international court, and you can sue them and you can bring the contract forth and show the international or world court that they breached. Does anybody not see this? I hope you all get it. Genius. Sir. Shalom, Brother Priest. Uh, I was just thinking, uh, just a little simple thing. You think you can throw Colin Kaepernick a little bone and we get a kickback after he's through the NFL? I think I know how I could probably reach him. If we could reach him, we could offer it. But I, there's two ways that I think, there's two ways that you can reach anybody. One, if they have a secretary or a representative, a public representative, you can do it through the mail. You can do it through certified mail or registered mail. Two, you can go into the, the court of public opinions, meaning you can go into the media and get your message out there and flush them out to talk to you. I wouldn't want to do that in the in the media, but, I mean, it might not be a bad idea. Maybe we should try to reach out to them. That might not be a bad idea. It's, it was funny, but, hey, because if nothing else, let me tell you, it, here here's where you run into a problem. Remember, Tom Brady... He sued them in federal court, and he won. But understand, something went wrong with him winning. 
Of course, the NFL appealed. An appeal is only a review. You can't bring in new new information. You can't enter in new evidence. Right. All they're doing is, re, is they're reviewing to determine whether or not the the first court ruled correctly. And if they determined they didn't rule correctly, overturned. So in every situation, there is a possibility that there will be a judge who incorrectly rules. I mean, it's 50-50 really across the board, but it's more, it's more probably like 75-25 because most judges understand that. But you get some people that are get emotional and they, they, have, they have egos. And they're like, well, you know what? You don't like it, appeal it. You know, an appeal on a judge, if, if, it's, if their judgment is overturned, that's a strike against their bar card. They're eligible for being removed from office. The public officials can remove them from office if they keep on getting appealed and their, and their judgments keep on getting overturned, but then they're qualified. They become incompetent to sit in their seat. But if Colin Kaepernick, he, let's say he sued him in federal court and some idiot judge rules against him and he appeals and it goes to a higher court, he will probably win. But what probably happened is that the NFL would not want this out there. They wouldn't want this to go to court. They'll they'll act like they tough and oh we'll just hire the greatest attorneys. But I'm telling you, their A class would be like, look, you bureaucrats, you NFL team owners, you all better solve this. You better solve it quick, or we're pulling money. This is our league, not yours. Now I'm telling you, we can do the same as a nation. We can do the same as a body collective. As a body of people, we can do the same. And we could shake them up. Colin Kaepernick could destroy the NFL. If you're dumb enough, to, if your attorneys are dumb enough to go into a court and he proves that you you violated 18242, 18246, you lose. You could lose all of your teams and shut down the whole league. And no A-class would allow that to happen. But that's how you play this game. That's why Negroes have suffered. Now, let me go back to slavery as written in scriptures. Let me go back to the uh, team. Uh, 1669 Virginia law where it's not you don't get you don't get punished for killing your slave people that don't understand that what you don't understand is this is this is property that we're talking about chattel property no different than a dog a cat or a cow 
but nature has natural rights. So if you kill a cat, dog, cow, ox, or sport unjustly, you're eligible to be sued, you're eligible to lose. That's what this is about. If you understand that principle, then you understand why the highest court in the universe is the court of the Most High Almighty. The terms and conditions of the contract are the 613 law, statutes, and commandments. So if some judge rules against you, rules against those terms and conditions, then what does the Most High do? You appeal to the Most High, meaning you got to say, Most High, you see what happened, right? My Here's my petition to you. It's in your hands. Now, their judgment gets overturned through natural disasters, through economic collapse. And they do not have the power to get out of that judgment. Just like you and I didn't have the power to get out of the judgment. We breached contract with the Most High, and the Most High put us in this condition under these people. We can't cry about it. We got to get up, clean ourselves up, and live by these terms and conditions in this book. Anybody not understand this? It's a beautiful thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, um, yes, Chief I have a question for you because I remember many, uh, several years ago you did you did the uh, uh, Twelve Tribes documentary, the Twelve Tribes video, um, and you placed it in the um, in the theater one um, in the theater one uh, uh, site. So. I remember in the documentary, I remember you stating that because when you were explaining the 12 tribes, you were explaining uh, that um, sometimes, well, for most of the times, patterns are um, consistent. So I'm reading, I think it was Isaiah. And no, I think it was Isaiah or Ezekiel. And there was a part in there where it was talking about this uh, what looked to be at the time like a stock market or kind of like a, um, oh, I'll just say a stock market. And it went over uh, who was a, who sold what in the stock market, what their trade was, and so on and so forth. And then there was this passage where it was talking about, uh, I think it was Togarma and uh, another uh, 
thing, Jophethite. And it was talking about how they sold they sold persons and uh uh persons of brass or vessels of brass, which is supposed to be synonymous um or synonym for slaves or property. So do you believe that in the essence of time the people who were doing what they were doing those many years ago were still practicing those trades that could possibly have been a family thing and then somehow just find this way to the present and we still see people doing the exact same thing today and that those people could have possibly been the people who are selling uh, persons and quote-unquote vessels of brass. There it is, brother. This hasn't changed, and it's not going to change. This is ancient. It's just the thinking, the think, the what the people believe in is a bunch of myths. <laughs> they think this Bible is. They keep thinking it's is some Jesus character on the cross. And you got people who are great sellers. They have sold it to the people and they bought it. It's not what it's about. It's about government law of commerce. It's about your individual behavior. It's, it's looked upon as the real judge is the most high almighty in nature. That's all it's about. And people that don't know that and don't teach that, they're teaching a deception and they're doing an injustice to people. Brother, Brother Priest, can you repeat that last part? It's Sister Adiana. I'm I'm at the barbershop with my uh, grandson, so it's kind of like loud a little bit with music. I had to step out. Go in there and you grab something. Uh, just that last part about that what people don't understand. If people don't understand that this is not religious, and if people don't understand that no matter what, the real judgment is judged in nature by the Most High Almighty. So what you do privately, you think you're getting away with, judgment comes down in the forms of karma, how you are classified in the society, how people treat you, um, your health. I hope that really shouldn't but there's no escape. There is no escape. Shalom. I just wanted to make a correction. It was Ezekiel chapter 27, uh, verse 13, and it states that Javan, Tubal, and Meshach, they were your merchants. They traded persons of men and vessels of brass in your market. And in the actually the in in theology and uh I guess you could say other Christian apologetics, you can read uh that Javan has been associated with the Eonians, which are the modern day Greeks or the Greeks during that time and still are the Greeks. And Tubel and Meshach, they have been associated with the Russians who have been almost kind of like a major part of this quote-unquote uh, Jewish 
Zionism that has been perpetuated so many years, who have also been a part of the slave trade. Does that make them negatively bad? Some more than others, but not as a whole. But I just threw that out there because I just, when I saw, when I read this, and I, and I remember when you made the documentary and you went and you said that uh, some genetic patterns are consistent, and in that times they're not always consistent, but for the most part they are, and I'm thinking to myself, well, then these people have to be the same people who were doing the same things yesterday because they're doing it in the scripture. And it had to have been at the time that everybody at this particular time uh, in, uh, uh, I guess you could say, Merchant City of Tears, this is what they were noted for on public record. They were merchants. This is their expertise. You see what I'm saying? So this means that at some point, this tool of trade, just like today, you have the quote-unquote uh, Chinese people, what do they normally do when they come over here? They're known for opening up nail shops and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chinese takeout places. This is their tool of trade in America, and we all can attest to that fact. <laughs> the uh, and that's no that's no shade and no pun intended. I mean that's that's what we see. That's the uh, that's the empirical evidence. They open up shops, nail shops, and uh, uh, um, um, Chinese takeout places. Some Arabs, they open up uh, uh, gas stations and chain stores. I mean, all the priests did not lie. (laughs) But he said that this stuff is consistent. They're doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So um, I just wanted to point it out to you, brother. And I yield. Praise the Lord. But the, the problem is, Essentially, the, the, I, let, let me just say this. This might sound a little, I don't know, spooky or whatever, but I'm sitting underneath my teachers, and they were using all types of terminologies and teaching in a certain way that I did not even realize how they were teaching. And when I look back on it, it, you, there's no way that if you if you listen to me talk and preach and teach, you got to understand somebody did something to prepare me for that in my life. Somebody taught me. And so once I started doing the things that I had to do to understand what I was experiencing, then all of the stuff they were teaching me and not just me, but all the people they were taught, all that came back to me. All of it just resonated with me. So that means they had to already be in that state of mind. And they had to look at us and be and understand that we weren't. And then they had to understand the science of how to resurrect it in us. And, and I, I just happened to be one that it works. I clearly see it. I am not confused. And when you look around and anybody claiming to teach the Bible and they're not talking like this, 
They're teaching historical idolatries. The same idolatry that they're talking about, um, Jesus didn't have a mother, I mean a father. That how, how everybody talks about today. Okay, Paul talks about that, that, that's, that that was around during his day, but it was before they were even born. What I'm saying is the same mythology, and Paul points it out, don't believe in these ancient uh, wives' tales. Don't believe that stuff, that this woman gave birth to a, a, a child without uh, being touched by a man. He's telling them, don't believe, they've been telling this story for centuries. Don't you believe it? That's in the Bible. <laughs> Okay, now, the reason why is because it has nothing to do with Yeshua, the one that they, that it was our Christ. It has nothing to do with him. This is why you people confuse that Jesus story with Isis, Horus, and uh, um, and Osiris of Greece, and Osiriset and Heru of Egypt. Or Kemet. That's why they confuse it because it's the same ancient fairy tale. Yes, that fairy tale comes from Asar Set and Heru. Yes, um, Asar was killed. She put put him back together. He was cut up into different pieces. She put him back together, and there was one piece missing, which was his. Um, private part that was the part missing okay so she cried and uh she got pregnant by him and it was a miracle baby that's the same ancient story that is not the story that's in the scriptures that's just how people think that's just what they think so and because they don't get it they equate it to that so what i'm saying to you anybody that is not teaching government law and commerce is not teaching the truth. Do you think in Jewish temples, synagogues, even do you think they're sitting up there praising some Jesus type of character? What are they teaching in there? They're not what they're teaching is law. They're teaching commerce. And they're not gonna teach it to niggas. <laughs> It's the truth. So something had to happen. Somebody had to come along with the ancient knowledge at the right time to resurrect the truth to our people. I'm telling you, that is the, the teachers I sat under. I am 1,000% sure of it because everything they taught I do not even hear anybody's minds that are even nowhere close to it. It's like, okay, you got a little piece over here with Moors, cool. You got a little piece over here with Hebrews, cool. But the the complete package, I I have seen it nowhere else except for where I've been in my life with these teachers and within this nation today. That is why this is charged to you. Because you heard it, you stand around all the other people around you, but you heard it and they didn't. <laughs> Same people 
going to the same website, going to the same audio, and you heard it, and they didn't. They're in the same city as you, even if you don't know them. They're in the same city as you, in the same neighborhood, on the same block. And you heard it, but they didn't. That means that it's charged to your soul. That's that's who we are. We are those ones that were promised to come back. We are the only Yes. I'm not to interject. I wanted to uh share something with you guys. Um when you were speaking on the um situation with the Immaculates of conception or conception. Um King James. Um He's a almost always a major a person of major importance to me because I, um, in light of everything that he was going through at the time of him being a king, he always stood resolute in himself, letting everybody know that I take my job serious. <laughs> but aside from that, he wrote a lot of different books. This he you know, authored the King James Bible, 1611 Bible, the translation, that is. And even in that book, and another book that I'm going to read the passage from, he let the people know that he wasn't with the Immaculate Conception con game. He went so far as to put, because I have a a Bible that was given to me by uh, Minister Lynn. Um, He gave it to me in my graduation. And in the book, beginning of the book, he starts to show you throughout the book where he could prove without a shadow of a doubt that Joseph was Jesus' father. That was, that was his, you know, overall goal. But nonetheless, he also questioned this whole thing about the law being done away with. He wrote a book, uh, Wisdoms of Wisdoms of something. I can't remember exactly what it's called. I'll get you the title. But I want you guys to hear what he had to say about it. This is in a preface. And he said, uh, uh, at the Hebrews call, it is of nature of all things, birds, bees, fowls, fishes, trees, plants, from the hyssops to the cedar. All these were rather works to manifest humane wisdom than divine knowledge written rather for the direct recreation of his own spirit than for the edification of the church. For I cannot conceive, but those books would rather have taught us the learning of nature, for which God has left us to, to the writings of men, than edified us in the gifts of grace, for which he has given us his own book. Neither let any man suggest that these writings that are lost and, as they say, were destroyed in the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians were of the same authority as those that do remain. For I can hardly be induced to believe that the writings that were indicted by the, by the Spirit of God laid up in the ark, received in the canon, read publicly in the church, are utterly perished. It is a desperate thing to call either to the providence of God or the fidelity of the church in question in, in this point. For if those that have been are perished, then why may not these that remain as well be lost? Which is contrary to our Savior's assertion, 
that one iota shall not perish till all be fulfilled. Therefore, I rather incline to think that whatever was scripture still is than that is in that than that any is lost. Neither is this opinion so curious to hold uh, too bold as the other and dangerous to believe, is dangerous to believe. Better it is ever to argue ourselves of ignorance than to accuse God of improvidence. But if so much scripture be lost, as is alleged, farewell God his providence. Farewell the fidelity of the church, to whose care was concredited the oracles of God. Let us come to the writings of kings, where we shall not incur any danger of this controversy, that were so far from being acted by God his spirit, that they were more like those disciples of John that had heard that had not heard whether they were at an holy ghost or no, that knew nothing to God, though they felt never so much of his goodness, that never believed his omnipresence, though they had never so much experience of his power. He was basically called in the church, the Roman Catholic Church, a liar, because it was pushing his myth about the laws being done away with. And he was basically saying that the laws were done away with, then where do you get your authority from? It is. Yes. Even the King James, who trans had to authorize this, this scripture, he he felt the exact same way that most people felt. But nonetheless, I just wanted to share that since we were talking about the Immaculate Conception. How are you, brother? The, the more you go into his life, the more you understand. I mean, it's, it's written in the law books that he uh, was trying to uh, reestablish theocracy. Because they had theocracies, his whole bloodline. They had theocracies, and the um, unfortunately, these um, Romans worked to get him murdered and spread lies on them. You know, so. Um, Nonetheless, when we're talking about us building this network, being able to get some cash flow going, some revenue flow, excuse me, going for yourself, and you don't take it seriously, that's a problem. So... We should not have these obstacles in our own lives to where we make it so that what should take four days takes 40 years. And it may take 40 years for some of you, some of us, some of us that are here in this nation, some of us that are not in this nation, but it's not going to take no 40 years for all of us. So don't be slacking and get left behind. We're not going to leave you stranded. No. But just think about you as an individual got to be redirecting your mind towards really truly breaking away from these people 
because we must. Nature is telling us. And the only way we're going to be able to do it is to be able to work within ourselves as our own network. We can use other people's services and all types of things to generate funds for us, but we got to work collectively. So we don't need to procrastinate. We don't need to um, make excuses. When I was, I want to say one more thing because it's almost eight, 8 o'clock here, okay? I came up and my friends and my roommates were this rap group, Slum Village, hip-hop group, Slum Village. And I talked about this earlier in the week, but I was around Slum Village, um, hip-hop, D12, Eminem and D12, and Dwele, R&B, neo-soul singer. I was around them every day for years. We were all in a camp together, and I separated from that first camp, and I went to my elders um, that I ended up in camp with. But I was still close to those guys. We were still brothers, and we always supported one another and treated one another like that. So what happened was um, most of the people that were in that camp, the first camp, which I referred to as the DOOR, D-O-O-R. It's an acronym. But um, when I was with them, most of them were, most of us in that camp were artists. I was one of the only musicians. I played instruments. Everybody else was either a poet, a rapper. They did um, hip-hop music or they could draw, paint, um, all types. It was a bunch of artists. But anyway, one of the things I remember is that all of us loved um, Slum Village music so much, even myself. And I was a musician, producer, and all that. We loved them so much that we all got behind them. And we helped to push their popularity. So one day, I'll never forget this. It came time for them to do a a tape. Back then it was cassettes. Do their first release. So I was one of these guys. We met up at Kinko's. It was called Kinko's then. And we were printing out, cutting with scissors, and putting cassette tapes together to get ready to sell on a Friday night at the, at the local club, the uh, St. Andrew's Hall Club. I was sitting there with them. We were trying to get like 300 copies or whatever. We did it. We went out that night. I didn't actually do the selling, but we got I helped participate in getting the stuff together. Went out that night and sold out. 
in like an hour, like 300 copies of the tape, right? Well, almost 300 because they had like two, each, everybody had like one in their pocket. So a couple of people just had a couple extras, but basically almost 300 sold, right? Now listen, we focused our energy, our attention on their success. We focused our prayers and energy on their success. And I'm telling you, I'm not even going into the whole long story right now because I already did that earlier this week. But in a matter of a couple of weeks, Jay Diller, if you don't know him, look him up. He's passed away now. This was one of my friends. I'm telling you, in two weeks, Jay Diller got a call from Q-Tip. He met Q-Tip, got a call from him, and wanted to sign him to a production deal. And from then on, it was history. Now that my elders and the other camp's leader told us, when you all get there, when you become famous, don't forget your mission. You're supposed to go up there and go out there and spread the truth. You will hear about Tim Melchizedek, who was my student teacher. He was he was rapping in Hebrew. My student teacher by Tim Melchizedek is dead now. He got there. He was he was four years younger than me. But he got there and he started off with the message. He got caught up in the industry and he started smoking crack. I was around them. Proof from D12. I did, or I did the, uh, the orchestration, direction, and editing of an entire documentary film on Proof. I was traveling with Proof. The last couple of months of his life, I was the videographer, and he personally asked me to do it. Once he gets murdered, The charge was on him. The charge was on Batin. The charge was on Dilla. Hear me good. When Proof died, and I have this with me to this day, his family and loved ones, you you all got to hear me because I don't think I've ever said this publicly like this. His family and loved ones trusted me to be power of attorney. I have that in my possession to this day. They entrusted me to handle some of their legal affairs, and I didn't even know all the stuff I know now. And I didn't understand why. But they, they I look back on it, and I guess they couldn't trust nobody else around them. <laughs> But what I'm telling you, our unity, our oneness, 
is what made those guys famous and rich. They were rich and famous. And they're, they're still my friends. I don't talk to them anymore, but I got their phone numbers. Three of them dead. MC Breed, I knew him. I worked with him. Dead. Cokehead. He was snorting coke. What happened was when the Most High took us to that place where it was foretold we would be, in walks Satan and says, if you bow down to me, I'll give you the world. Proof never used drugs or alcohol before he was famous. Martin never used drugs or alcohol before he was famous. Jay Diller never used drugs or alcohol before he was famous. We were all spiritually, we were spiritual brothers. And although I took us, I stepped away from that camp, we all remained one. Our love and our support brought us to success. I had a record deal before they did, by the way. And when they got one, it, we, had been, we had reached the point that our teachers told us we were going to reach, and they told us, my elders told me, you know what your mission is. Don't forget it. Our love, our camaraderie, and our unity propelled us to where we were supposed to be. But we focused in. We all participated. We all played our part, no matter how big or little. We were assembly line cutting these CDs, cutting these tapes, I mean, excuse me, cassette tapes. Printing, one guy on printing, one guy on cutting, one guy on insert. We were doing this together. We all went out. We all sold their, their cassettes. And we generated the money. And they, they, they became so popular in Detroit, they started making a buzz all across the country just from this underground stuff we were doing. Just the stuff that we were just doing not even worrying about anything, but we just loved the music. And our teachers had taught us the first thing you do, you get together, get some product together, and you go out there and you sell it and generate some money. So we were already in that mode. And I'm telling you, had we not all played our part, we would have never got to that success. I'm looking at Eminem. He is a result of that success. He wasn't in the camp because he was Caucasian, but he was still, he was a part of us. He He's influenced by us without a doubt. He had real genuine love for us. It was not racial. I'm telling you, our unity produced their success. But when they got there, what did they do with it? See, my point to you is, 
It's not enough to get money. If you if you are weak for drugs and you get money, you'll just be a drug addict with money. If you're weak for fornication, same thing, so on and so forth. The blessing is here. It's within our grasp to end your economic woes. But you have to play your part. It is bigger than you and I. I'm telling you, this is the state of the future of Negroes, Latinos, and Natives. And you play an important part. Where is your real love? You display it through your commitment to unity. So don't forget this. Because we are on the rise. It's just a matter of days now. Don't forget this. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for being able to listen to your brother. All praise to the most. Appreciate it. Hello? Hello? We still on the call? Hello? Hello?
Shalom, shalom. Anybody online? Shalom, shalom, anyone on the line? Shalom.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.